1: A wonderful good morning. This is 101.9 chi FM, and you are listening to the Healthy You, Wealthy You show, where we sit and we discuss better ways to live, and ways that we can take control of ourselves. Um, I'm feeling pretty good today. Faggy. how are you doing? I'm
2: very well, thank you. How are you? How's thank, everything going?
1: Thank God, very very well. Um, we've got a, it. Seems like a bit of a little delay. If you can try come closer to your phone to see if we can pick that up. I'm sure the controller is also going to be picking up that we've got a pretty bad line. Hopefully it will clear up. Um, today we're going to be discussing something that's just a wee little late for me, um, but it was something that occupied our minds three weeks ago, and that was that uh, we were blessed with a new grandson. And I think one of the things that, that there's a lot of fretting about is this idea of jaundice, when you have a a little baby boy particularly in uh the Jewish uh, realm we always worry about Georges because we know that 8 days later we are wanting to bring uh the baby uh, to to Brit which means we want to perform a circumcision on them and there is so much um anxiety around that well today we are going to blow all the myths out of the water and we are going to get some authoritative clear cutting um information on how to do it and we will have none other than Dr. Cussell, who, um, is who is a regular now on our show we want to thank Dr. Castle for um, his time and his dedication in, in speaking to the community. Uh, Dr. Castle is a renowned pediatrician and uh, many, many, many of us have been affected um, by him and his care and his compassion so if you have any questions or anything that you want to know Particularly around doneness, which um, I'm sure will be discussed in the realm of children, and perhaps we can even talk about it um, if it does come in uh, an adult and what that what what repercussions that has. You can contact us on three four five one nine, or you can telegram us on zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine. We'd love you to join into the conversation.
0: This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adel Kosilski and Fagy Stern.
1: Welcome back. And as mentioned in the introduction, we are discussing jaundice and we have the one and only Dr. Kassel. Good morning, Dr. Kassel. Thank you for joining us.
3: Morning, Good Morning, as well. Uh, well,
1: go, go ahead. We need an introduction into this jaundice. All, all us Jewish mothers know is that we get hysterical if our baby turns yellow.
3: Well, I'm going to try to t- entitle my talk A Balanced Perspective of Jaundice. Jaundice is too vast a field to try to cover in one talk, but I will cover all the aspects that affect pediatrics. I will attempt in my talk to present the balanced perspective with particular reference to the concerns of the parents. Without minimizing the more serious aspects of jaundice, I will attempt to reassure our listeners that jaundice in infants and children is not always as serious as many believe. At the same time, I will try to dispel some of the fears that are present in the minds of the newborn's parents about the implications of jaundice. Like I always do in my talks, I will first discuss the mechanism of jaundice production. The red blood corpuscle breaks down normally every 100 to 120 days. A natural waste product of this breakdown is a yellow-brown pigment material called bilirubin. In its natural form, it is called indirect bilirubin. The indirect bilirubin is then transported to the liver cells, where the liver cell enzymes are responsible for changing this bilirubin chemically into a purer form of bilirubin called direct bilirubin. The direct bilirubin is then carried via the bile ducts of the liver and ultimately the common bile duct, which empties into the intestine, where the bilirubin gives us the normal brown color to our stools. Disturbances along this bilirubin pathway lead to the three common types of jaundice which I'm going to discuss. Firstly, hemolytic jaundice. Hemolytic jaundice is the most important as far as pediatrics is concerned because this is defined as the excessive and premature breakdown of red blood cells leading to excess quantities of indirect bilirubin and creating levels of indirect bilirubin which the liver cells simply cannot cope with. It is this type of indirect bilirubin that is potentially dangerous, particularly in the newborn period, because it may penetrate brain cells and damage brain cells. Nature, via Hashem, has provided the infant with two very important protective mechanisms. Firstly, the proteins of normal plasma. They act as magnets to take up the indirect bilirubin. And once the indirect bilirubin is attached to the proteins of the plasma, it can do no harm. That's the first protective mechanism. So as long as an infant has sufficient plasma proteins, it will not, the indirect bilirubin at any level will not harm it. The second protective mechanism is the actual brain cell. It is normally non-permeable, nothing can penetrate it. But in certain instances, such as a lack of oxygen before birth or during birth, it may become more permeable and allow in the indirect bilirubin. Also, prematurity makes it more susceptible. So therefore, it is not only the level of bilirubin that is important, but whether there is sufficient protein to bind the bilirubin in the plasma and whether the brain cell is sufficiently resistant to penetration by the indirect bilirubin that are the ultimate factors in determining the outcome of raised levels of bilirubin. Not go into a flat panic because the jaundice level is 18 or 23, and in some of the European countries it even goes to 30 or 35, and people don't panic. But we panic just about a bilirubin level. It's not the sole factor. Now, secondly, how does hemolytic jaundice arise? How does the baby get hemolytic jaundice? And please stop me if you're not following what I'm saying. It's very important that you must follow what I'm saying. The most important factor is blood group incompatibility between the mother and the baby, where the mother may be rhesus factor negative and the baby is rhesus factor positive from the partner, from the husband. Very simply, the rhesus positive blood of the baby transfers via the placenta during pregnancy into the circulation of the mother. It doesn't belong there. She will produce rhesus antibodies to destroy the rhesus positive cells of the baby. These antibodies do nothing to the mother, but they then recross via the placenta back into the baby, either before birth, during birth, where they will begin to destroy the rhesus positive cells of the baby. That is known as Rh jaundice. Another example of blood group incompatibility is where the mother is group O and the baby via the father, via the part, her partner is either group A or group B or group AB. The same principle applies leading to the severe condition of ABO jaundice, hemolytic jaundice. But, as Shem has provided us with protective mechanisms, the placenta normally acts in the same way as a tea strainer filters tea leaves. It doesn't allow the tea leaves into the cup. In this way, the placenta acts as a barrier to antibody, transferring from the mother into the baby. And not every baby, not every mother that is sensitized, will produce an affected baby. If the placental filtering mechanism is adequate, it is only when this mechanism breaks down that hemolytic jaundice occurs in the baby. Just to conclude
2: uh,
1: the of,
3: do you want to ask a question?
1: Uh, I do, but just you're going to conclude, so conclude that, and then I'll 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 come back in.
3: Let me complete the hemolytic jaundice. It's a tiny little paragraph of other causes of hemolytic jaundice in the newborn. The red blood cell can also break down if it's abnormal in shape or size. And the very important condition from a a Jewish point of view is congenital spherocytosis. That's a genetic disease in Jews. Thalassemia is a genetic disease in Greeks and Cypriots and sickle cell anemia in the Indian community. Here the red blood cell doesn't live its 120 days, but breaks down at birth to cause hemolytic jaundice. And often the first signs of this condition are jaundice, hemolytic jaundice of the newborn, which cannot be com- explained. But prevention is always better than cure. And in order to manage the potential buildup of hemolytic jaundice, The following criteria are important. The blood group status of the mother and her partner must be known from the outset of the pregnancy. And every RH negative mother should have her blood regularly checked during the pregnancy for RH antibodies. If sensitization has occurred during pregnancy, she should certainly receive anti-serum after birth. This anti-serum will prevent subsequent pregnancies from getting antibodies and even higher levels of jaundice. Plasma proteins in the baby should always be kept in mind. Infant plasma can be used even in severe cases of sensitization to bind up the indirect bilirubin, as we have said, like a magnet. Phototherapy uh, as, uh, can be utilized sooner rather than later, according to certain criteria, which I'll, which I'll mention in the end. And, and
1: can I stop you there, Dr. Kassel, just for a few minutes? We're going to have to go for, for an ad break and we, we will, we will pick up very shortly.
0: This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kasselsky and Fagie Stern.
1: While everybody's contemplating the movies, we're contemplating jaundice with Dr. Cussell. Dr. Custle, um, in following your introduction to jaundice, um, interestingly, in my family, we do we, we we have both scenarios where we have just generally boys that are born, everybody's fine, mommy's rhesus positive, positive, um, you know, and then you're just watching the the uh, belly rubin level, and then we do have an instance where a mom is rhesus negative. And that then, you know, we kind of like go more into high gear, like the grandchildren go straight away into ICU as soon as they're born because their bilirubin does um, go much, much higher, much, much quicker. Um, you know, just in terms, of, I'd, I'd love to understand the idea of, of, of phototherapy and what it does and when there is a place for it, because uh, just now with this last uh, birth, um, you know, we were not sure. There was a there was a lot of let me say like this. There was a lot of um, not argument, but a lot of d- differing opinions as to when a baby is considered jaundice, um, you know, and when we should be putting on the photo lights, and is it safe to to do the brus. So, can you guide our listeners as to what are like acceptable levels, up to what, when can you start phototherapy, and when is it dangerous to have a brist?
3: Right. It's part of my prevention is better than cure. Right. I'll mention at this stage the table. The jaundice only shows in the skin and usually in the whites of the eyes when it reaches a level of about 5 milligrams per At birth, anything over 2.5 milligrams per is considered abnormal for a bilirubin. Right. So you may be a delay of 6 to 12 hours before you even see jaundice appearing in the baby. And this is the whole point of my talk. Prevention is better than cure. If you know that a baby is sensitized, rather start the phot- phototherapy sooner rather than later. And these are my tables, the criteria that I've always used for using the lights. Just to explain the lights to you and to answer your question, phototherapy is a mechanism of destroying the indirect bilirubin in the skin. Now, here again, there are many uh, fallacies in this procedure. First of all, you cannot leave a baby fully clothed and put it under the lights. There's no way that the lights can get to the skin of the baby. So the baby has to be completely undressed. Secondly, the baby has to be turned. It's point is letting the lights shine on the chest of the baby for 24 hours and leaving the back and the hands and the legs and everything completely covered. It's got to be turned like a roast is turned in the oven. It's got to be, it's, the bilirubin has got to be burnt up. Phototherapy is not dangerous, provided you replace the fluids, because the baby may overheat with phototherapy and therefore require more fluids. But the criteria for phototherapy are the following. The normal bilirubin at birth should be not more than 2.5. If it is more than 2.5 at birth, start phototherapy immediately. At 0 to 12 hours, it should not be more than 5. If it is more than 5, phototherapy immediately. At 12 to 24 hours, more than 7.5. Start phototherapy immediately. At 24 to 48 hours, more than 10 milligrams per cent, start phototherapy immediately. And at 48 hours plus, over 18 milligrams per cent, and there too, start phototherapy immediately.
2: The so start... What do they test a baby as soon as they're born? How, what is the protocol? And if they don't test them straight away, if you do know that your, that your children are prone to um, getting jaundice at birth, Should you request for them to be tested?
3: You should do a cord bilirubin and see what it is. In the same way as you test the cord blood routinely for RH in the baby, and you should test it for the baby's blood group. They don't do it, but they are doing it now at the Park Lane. They're doing it in Cape Town. The blood group status of the baby should be known. What I'm trying to emphasize over here, that every own own mother and every negative mother should have a a, a routine cord blood on the baby done at birth so that you know what is going on. Don't wait until signs and symptoms of jaundice appear. Rather, prevent it by knowing what is happening with the baby.
2: I'm A-positive. Would that mean that if my babies are jaundice... How does that work if I'm not negative? It's obviously a different type of
3: jaundice. Sorry, repeat the question.
2: If I'm positive, I'm A positive, and let's say I'm not negative, it wouldn't be a routine test that they would do. But my babies do get jaundice.
3: They would check your blood group. And if you were O, and your husband was A or B, or AB, you could get ABO jaundice. You wouldn't get RH jaundice if you're positive, if you would So, get-
1: so if, 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 a mother is rhesus positive, then you kind of just, you, you, let nature take its course and you watch, you watch the baby and you take a couple of, uh, blood tests if you see the baby turning yellow. Yeah, no, you, what you're saying is, is that for the mothers that have got, uh, that are O or they're rhesus negative, that's when they've got to, they've got to watch what they're doing.
3: Every every O mother, and even if you don't know the the husband's blood group, every O mother should have a routine cord blood bilirubin and blood grouping of the baby done at birth, especially the blood grouping. And if the baby is either A or B or AB, then watch out for hemolytic jaundice long before the jaundice appears. And in this way you will prevent the the severe buildups of hemolytic jaundice. What I'm trying to say is, if you don't intervene early and get the indirect bilirubin under control, and you wait till the second or third day till the baby actually starts showing signs of jaundice, that baby's going to end up in hospital for five to seven days and even longer under the lights, because you've allowed the antibodies to build up. Mm -hmm. Rather intervene sooner rather than later. The lights do not cause any harm, and if you go according to my table, and you test those blood groups at birth on the baby, then nothing. Then you'll control the baby (coughs) without any problems.
1: Can you can you explain? Like we we had a member of family. Um, I don't know all the details, but I know. I think that both of them were O blood groups, and. I'm talking now maybe 50, 60 years ago, they never had children because of this.
3: Not because of
1: jaundice, but I don't know, there was some incompatibility that they could not have children because I don't know, maybe modern medicine, um, you know, didn't, couldn't afford them the care that they needed.
3: There's no such thing today because even in the severe Rh sensitizations, and also when I'm talking about Rh and ABO, Remember that there are other minor blood groups, such as MN blood groups. I don't want to confuse you with that, because that is uh, very, very rare, where you Mm. can get severe jaundice in the newborn. But these situations can all be coped with, so much so today, that they're doing intrauterine exchange transfusions before the baby's born. Mm. They're exchanging the baby's blood in severely sensitized RH babies. They're doing it in South Africa, they're doing it in America. So there's no reason for any RH negative mother or any O mother not to have a baby. It's not, uh, provided she is carefully monitored by the obstetrician.
1: But that that obviously is something now that's modern now. It, It did exist, this condition did exist before and you couldn't have kids.
3: No, it doesn't apply today. You can have kids, whatever the situation. You see, there are some mothers that are RH negative that were not treated with anti-serum after their first baby or after Mm. their second baby, even after their third baby. So with each subsequent pregnancy, the antibody teeters built up. And by the time it got to the third or fourth baby, those babies very often died in utero from a condition known wow. as Hydroxpitalis, which is the complete breakdown of the blood cells and the baby can't, cannot survive. This situation doesn't occur today because if there was a chance of a baby developing this and the antibody teeter was out of control in the pregnancy, they would exchange that baby's blood intrauterine. They wouldn't wow. wait for the baby to be born. So there is no content. Now, just to to emphasize this, which is very, very important, the prevention is that each midwife who delivers a baby, each unit that delivers a baby, should know that any mother who is RH negative and any mother who is group O, the blood group status of the baby must be known at birth because then you can anticipate these situations occurring. And if you don't do that, Doctor Castle.
2: Yes, sorry. Yeah. Carry
3: on. Now, I've, uh, I've come. I've come now to the last uh, prevention, better than cure. There's today an injection known as Polygam. Polygam is an antibody blocker. It's it's very very expensive, and the medical aids will not pay for it unless it's really indicated. Polygam blocks antibody, but the important factor about polygam is that it has to be used within the first six to, first not to six hours, preferably not over twelve hours. You can't use polygam on the second or the third or fourth day. Its effects will be minimal. So the pediatrician has to be aware of the degree of sensitivity and sensitization of the baby. And use the polygam earlier rather than late. So, just to summarise uh, <clears throat> what I have said, because we were interrupted by Edwards, the blood group status of both mother and her partner must be known at the start of the pregnancy. Every Rh negative mother should have her blood regularly checked for Rh antibodies during the pregnancy. If sensitisation has occurred during pregnancy, she should receive anti-serum straight after birth which will prevent subsequent pregnancies from getting high levels of antibody. Plasma proteins in the baby should always be kept optimum by giving the baby plasma in severe cases of jaundice. Phototherapy can always be utilized to burn up the indirect bilirubin in the skin, but it should be used sooner rather than later. The baby of every rhesus negative mother or O mother should have the cord blood tested at birth to determine the the baby's blood group and the rhesus status of the baby. And finally, in severe sensitizations, either intrauterine blood transfusions, exchange transfusions can be done or polygam can be done within the first 6 to 12 hours of birth. In this way, there is no baby that cannot... Be prevented from having the serious effects of jaundice.
1: So can I ask you, just if I asked you in a one line, and this was just, a, it was a a, a not a debate but a difference in opinion between pediatrician and the mohel um, when what level of bilirubin in the blood um, would indicate let's take away rhesus negative, you've got a rhesus positive mother, the child is born, 48 hours later you see they start turning yellow, you start taking bilirubin, what do you consider a safe um, level that the child can still have their Brits Miller, they can have their circumcision without worrying about photonites? Like, where's that line that you cross where you go, okay, you, you do need phototherapy, and okay, you can't have the bris right now?
3: Well, all those things are fallacious arguments. I actually gave this talk to the Baith Din many years ago. The reason for not doing a bris is that if it's alacrically dangerous for the baby to have side effects or after effects from the bris. In other words, if a baby is infected, if a baby is not feeding properly, if a baby is jaundiced and the jaundice is of such a level that it's likely to impair the clotting of the blood. Oh. This seldom ever happens. And the accepted figure in Johannesburg at the moment is about 14 milligrams per I think myself personally that this level could be very much higher. As long as the baby is not going to be compromised, and we're coming on to breast milk jaundice subsequently and the other c- c- conditions yes. of jaundice, we will discuss, and often bristles are delayed, because the, the breast milk jaundice causes a bilirubin level of 12 to 14 milligrams per not higher than that, for several days and for several weeks sometimes. And you can, you, you, with the way that some moles think about it, you could have the bris of the bar mitzvah at the same time.
0: You know, <laughs> waiting
3: for the bully ribbon to come down. It's completely fallacious. You only don't do a bris when the baby is likely to be compromised. That is what Hashem ruled, not what some of the moles ruled. <laughs>
1: Okay, so then uh, in saying that, then I think maybe let's go on to breast milk jaundice because does that affect the bilirubin when you're feeding the baby in the first like, couple of right. days?
3: Let's complete my hemolytic jaundice. At the time of checking the bilirubin levels in the baby, if you're uncertain as to the cause of the raised bilirubin, always ask the laboratory to fractionate the bilirubin into indirect or direct bilirubin like I said in my opening statement, Mm. because the direct bilirubin is completely harmless. It can go to any level. It's the indirect bilirubin that causes the damage. Right, so that concludes hemolytic jaundice. We now come on to the second important cause of jaundice in the newborn baby, physiological jaundice. Now, this is due to the sluggish or inhibited liver enzymes the process of cha- which which changed the indirect to direct bilirubin chemically this process is impeded and there are three important conditions that I wish to mention and to explain for the from the parents point of view the first is breast milk jaundice this happens because of the build up of estrogen levels in the mother in the later stages of pregnancy, her estrogen-progesterone ratio, hormone ratio has to alter in order to enable her uterus to go into labor. And very often the signs in the mother, as you know, being mothers, that you're going into labor is when your nose gets swollen, your nose gets blocked, your breasts get tense. It's a sign of estrogenization. And oestrogen does nothing else in the mother, but in the baby, if it goes through into the breast milk and persists after birth, it can cause problems. Not severe problems, but it can cause problems. Because the high high oestrogen level of the mother may persist after birth into the breast milk and oestrogen inhibits liver cell enzyme function. And this is probably the commonest type of jaundice in the newborn baby. Far more common than hemolytic jaundice, far more common than all the other jaundices, but this jaundice seldom reaches more than 12 to 14 milligrams per cent. It is no indication for stopping or interrupting breastfeeding or for cancelling a bris. Simple phototherapy and maintaining adequate fluid levels in the baby will correct this type of jaundice, and it is not dangerous. Not a contraindication to doing a bris Unless you've got a premature baby Where the weight of the baby May be a contraindication That's well, the first type of if, if,
2: if there's a baby and, and the level's at 19 And the baby's uh, like a 4.3 kilo baby Would that be a reason to stop a breast? It's
3: unlikely to be a breast milk jaundice With a level of 19 <clears throat> It seldom goes to those levels if it has a level of 19 or 20, start looking for other causes of the jaundice.
2: Which would be what? Can can
1: I can I stop you both there? We will get to what what those causes can be.
0: This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosulski and Fagey Stern.
1: We're discussing all stuff jaundice. Quite an interesting and fascinating discussion. Uh, if you'd like to join in on the conversation, 34519 is our SMS line, oh, oh, 61 oh, is our telegram line. Uh, just to also mention to anybody who would like to join uh, Faggy and myself, a uh, WhatsApp group. We have a WhatsApp group where every day we just drop a little video or a little something about how we can enhance our health and how to live healthier more naturally, you can send an email to info at highfm.com with your name and your number and we will gladly join you. Right, we were um, talking about uh, jaundice that comes from breastfeeding. I think Faggy, you had a question.
2: Yes, I was, I was saying that if a baby is 4.3 kilos, Dr. Kussler, and the levels were at 19, you mentioned that it wouldn't necessarily be a jaundice. There would be other concerns. What would those be?
3: The other concerns may be it's hemolytic. It could be the second type of physical, physiological jaundice that I'm going to discuss. And it could be the third type of jaundice obstructive, where, where there may be hepatitis in the baby. It's not normally a factor over 14 milligrams per cent pure breast milk jaundice in a full-term baby. You've got to start looking around for other causes other than just blaming the breast milk.
2: And then okay. in that case, obviously you would carry on feeding the baby and that, and that wouldn't be a problem. And another question is, um, that the size of the baby apparently does have an effect on the jaundice. Is that correct?
3: Yeah. If, if it's very small, it will have an effect of the jaundice because the premature baby, I'm coming to it in the third part of my physical, physiological jaundice. The premature baby has sluggish liver enzymes and in the premature baby, less than two kilogram the liver enzymes may be sluggish due to the prematurity the bilirubin should then be carefully checked in a prim, and if any signs of jaundice develop the prompt phototherapy must be instituted in premature babies rather give phototherapy sooner rather than later a large baby will overcome jaundice at 19 milligrams per cent without any problems whatsoever
2: Interesting. Also, you mentioned at the beginning about jaundice having an effect if the baby has an issue with breathing at birth. Does jaundice cause breathing issues at birth?
3: No. Jaundice doesn't cause breathing issues, but breathing issues and lack of oxygen make the brain cells more permeable to indirect bilirubin. You know, the brain cell is like a sieve, and the sieve starts getting holes in it, the sieve will let the bilirubin in. And it's mm-hmm. the indirect bilirubin that damages the brain cell. So Amazing. if a baby has suffered anoxia, suffered oxygen deprivation, fetal distress, secondary apnea, always watch out for that type of jaundice. I There's
2: think in, in the case when it comes to jaundice, it's difficult for the mother, because we, especially when it comes to the breast, because we are listening to so many different opinions when it comes to jaundice. We have to listen to the mole, we have to listen to the nurse, and we have to ask the paediatrician questions. And a lot of the cases, they're clashing each other's um opinions.
3: Well, the, the opinion to go back to is our question. Is the bris safe to be performed on in the allotted time? And if that answer is yes from the paediatrician, then the bris should be done. I don't think it should be left in the hands of the mole or in the sure. left, in the hands of anybody else, rather leave it to the experts. The I safety think. of the baby is the prime consideration. And if it's not safe for the baby, then obviously you can't do the bliss.
2: Amazing.
1: Okay, we've got, we've got maybe a, like a couple of minutes left, about four minutes. Do you want to go on to the second and third? Uh, yes,
3: I to go on to the second one. That's thyroid hormone deficiency. Thyroid hormone is essential for the normal functioning of liver cell enzymes. And if lacking or absent altogether, the first sign is prolonged neonatal jaundice of the newborn. Since thyroid hormone is essential for the normal functioning of brain cells, they will become permanently damaged unless thyroid replacement therapy is instituted immediately. Very often you get babies coming at 6 weeks, 12 weeks showing signs of hypothyroidism then it is too late to wake up. Every cord blood and Baruch Hashem, this is done on every baby at birth. They do a TSH on the cord blood to check for thyroid. So apart from checking the baby's blood group, O or negative or whatever it is, you should also do a TSH level. Because if you give the thyroid hormone uh, promptly, straight after when you diagnose deficiency, the brain cells will not be damaged. That concludes physiological jaundice. Obstructive jaundice, the third type, occurs when the bilirubin altered by the liver into direct bilirubin is prevented from reaching the intestines by obstruction in either the hepatic bile duct or the common bile duct. The only important obstructive jaundice in newborns is the condition of congenital biliary atresia, where the bile ducts don't develop in any case. This is very uncommon, but if detected early, it's detected by a gradual onset of jaundice, then the surgical procedures can be instituted to attempt to alleviate this problem. That really concludes what I want to say, and I hope that in this brief dissertation, I've outlined to you the more important causes of jaundice in the newborn infant and how we deal with them, and dispelled some of the, and that, have, that I've dispelled some of the anxieties and fears of the parents of newborn infants because, as you say, they can be subjected to lots of conflicting opinions. And what we urgently need in Johannesburg is a uniform opinion as to how this whole thing should be dealt with.
1: I I, I want to say amen to that because it is exactly that, is that, that, you know, when, when you do have a boy you do tend to start going round and round and round and everybody does have a different opinion. And 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 as as a lay lay person, you, you you get nervous. You don't know who should listen to. You know this one says it's fine. I, I just we just went through it now and again, not knocking down any of the doctors and 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 the moyle et cetera et cetera. You know the great is it a good at 12? Is it good at 14? Is it good at 18? Should you do the phototherapy? No, you can't do the phototherapy. One of the things that I'd like to discuss and it will take maybe one minute just as we have to go to an ad break now is what about just sticking your baby in the sun? Will that, will that help? But we'll discuss that as soon as we get back.
0: This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kazulski and Fagie Stern.
1: We're about to conclude our very, very interesting and enlightening talk on jaundice. Dr. Kassel, what about just prophylactically sticking your baby in the sun from the days before the bris.
3: There's a Yiddish expression for it if you understand Yiddish. (laughs) Boba (laughs) Meisthus.
1: It's a a very, very inherent condition amongst us. It's genetically (laughs) passed on.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Meisthus, unfortunately, pervades our religion very (laughs) freely. All you can do is burn your baby, really.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's no, there, there's no, what's the name, there's no, uh, no, no, no medical thing that, that the sun rays or the, well, the, the UV rays no, in the sun.
3: You know, the baby's skin is thin, it's like parchment paper. And if you stick a baby into the sun, in proper sunlight, you're going to burn the baby. I mean, <laughs> there's far more physiological ways of doing it.
1: Right.
2: Okay. So, in your experience over all these years, how many babies have you seen that have actually been affected with jaundice that badly?
3: I've seen As thousands in... and thousands of babies that have been affected with jaundice. And you know how many babies I've seen that have developed brain damage from jaundice? Two. Wow. 54 to 60 years. And those two babies that I remember clearly were affected. The one was affected with a bilirubin of seven. It didn't go higher than that because it didn't it, it was severely anoxic and damaged at birth, and the other one likewise. So it's not only the bilirubin level that uh, you know needs to dominate the psyche of whoever's looking after the baby. It's the other factors and the protective mechanisms that have been put into place to protect the baby. You know, in all the talks we've discussed so far one thing that cannot be denied is that the protection that our bodies, our own bodies, have had, instilled by Hashem in the structure of our bodies, and if we allow those mechanisms to operate, we usually won't run into trouble. And that is why the more conservative the more natural thinking people in pediatrics are probably the safest. Well, so basically, it, as that...
2: Jewish mothers, need to relax. Yes, relax, Jewish mothers, and
1: there you have it. And really, this is the basis of our our radio show, is that Hashem has created the body in a beautiful and intelligent way. And if we actually respect the, the processes that our bodies have, our bodies are able to heal and our, our bodies are able to protect. Um, what I think where we've crossed the line is that we don't have that respect anymore, and that's where we land ourselves in trouble. Well, thank you again, Dr. Castle, for your time and your expertise. Uh, the message out there is don't suntan your babies. Jewish <laughs> mothers relax. Go the conservative route. And, and hopefully now with what we've spoken about, we actually have got a far better informed uh, set of criteria um, that we can arm ourselves with when we are going through this process and, uh, you know, we can ask your doctor, your pediatrician, your mom, et etc. et cetera. And I think the last uh, comment that I'd like to make is I think that there should be some type of standard in, 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 in South Africa, if we could, in saying these are the general rules and regulations in terms of when you can and cannot have a brisk because – you know, as they say in, in our Jewish tradition, you never, ever formalize a wedding, an engagement, a bris without a forever. Um And uh, <laughs> around bris, <laughs> there's always this, is it, is it not? What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? And you land up in the for eight days instead of everybody relaxing, letting the mother breastfeed and letting nature take its course. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Thank you, Dr. Cussell, um, for your expertise. Faye thank you for always steering the show. Uh, Please, God, we'll be back next week. Next week we've got an exciting uh, agenda. We're going to be speaking to a reflexologist about the power of reflexology and how it can help you uh, live a happier and healthier uh, life. In the meantime, you all go well and have a great week ahead.